0: created to change the conversation around masculinity. My name is Mike Joseph and I hope this episode finds you and yours safe and healthy. In the two weeks since I published the last episode, America has been witness to an uprising that I'd be remiss if I didn't address. There are many components that make up who I am, but my primary identity is as a black man and as such I can't help but be particularly traumatized and saddened by the constant devaluing of black lives, particularly by law enforcement. I am cautiously optimistic that the seeds have been planted for change, as white people are opening their eyes and empathizing with what we as black people have to go through on a daily basis. I urge my black and brown family to not lose hope and to keep up the fight. And I urge my white family to stay in this fight, to use their voices to amplify those who could not afford to be as vocal and for all of us to band together for the sake of humanity so that these deaths are not in vain. I'd like to send condolences to the families of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, David McAtee, Tony McDade, George Floyd, and all the victims of racist police violence, and I urge everyone to remain vocal and vigilant that the killers of these humans are prosecuted and convicted. I also remind allies that allyship does not end when these cases are out of the headlines. I also want to wish all of my LGBTQIA family a happy Pride Month. This episode finds me chatting with Dave Bellevue, who is the frontman for the rock band Oxymorons, Oxymorons have toured with the likes of Gym Class Heroes and Fishbone. Dave is also a mental health activist, and he talks about how the loss of a friend spurred him to be active in this particular realm. He also talks about defying musical genres, life in the age of COVID-19, and growing up as an immigrant. I hope that you enjoy.
1: I'm Dave, a mental health advocate, co-frontman to oxymorons, uh, genre-bending band, lover of technology, martial arts cycling and all that good stuff (laughs) you do
0: a lot uh, one theme that i've noticed and i don't know if this is like a generational thing or not but with a lot of the people that i've had that i've interviewed on the show so far and this includes myself i guess is that everybody has like crazy side hustles everybody's doing like four different things so (laughs) you're like a musician and songwriter and you're a mental health advocate and you're like a health nut and a tech nut and kind of all this stuff why do you think everybody's so like broad now in the things that they do? Where do you think that uh, when did that happen?
1: Um, I think the surge in entrepreneurship kind of sparked that and the space that we're in right now that allows that that allows it. It kind of captivates it Um, because I think people were always like this. I think people always did a million different things. I just don't think that it was viable for them to a juggle it all at once. And then B, also some of it now has become uh, financially lucrative for them. So in that space, it kind of gives you there's a lot of freedom in that. You know, like like being an entrepreneur, not being on a on a regular what you would call a regular work schedule is very normal now. And I think that's what allows for it to be so many side hustles and people to be multifaceted because I think everyone's always loved a million things, but you couldn't dive into a million things back in the days. There weren't enough opportunity to do that. There's no way. Like, it's funny you even ask that because that's something that me and my dad was talking about. He goes, like he's like, I look at you and you're doing multiple things. And it's just like, what? And he was like, I had a job, you know, and it's like. I'm like, I never thought about it that way. And I, I, even my friend Craig, like he owns a bar and he teaches at a school. He teaches computer science at a school and he does music stuff on the side. So it's like, it's like a lot of people. And even look at you, look how much stuff you yourself are juggling. And it doesn't feel crazy. And it's just because it's just norm. It's that time technology allows for all of that. Because if you erase technology, we wouldn't be able to do all this.
0: So you grew up, you're from New York City, born and raised?
1: Nah, born in Haiti, moved to okay. New York when I was three. Okay, so you probably don't remember Haiti at all, do you? Uh, not really, only from the bounce back when I went back when I was 14. Um, but I don't remember it. I, what's funny, I have like little spurts of memories. Childhood Haiti memories? Uh, no. That Like, I remember landing in America. I remember the airport walk because I remember... Uh, I was my dad came to the country first and set everything up and then we came. Um and I remember I hadn't seen my dad in a long time. And I remember coming and I remember him giving me a jacket. And I also remember not uh not wanting to miss my dad, but not wanting to go to him. Like I missed him, but he was also unfamiliar. Which it's is a three-year-old,
0: that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Like like, oh, I know you, but I I know you as the person that left, but Wait a minute. I'm still kind of nervous because I'm in a new world, new environment, everything around me. So I'm just latching onto my mom. And I'll never forget that. Like the, the transfers for my dad to hug me to, to where my mom is kind of like forcing me off of her into his hand. Then I had to remember like, OK, this is dad. This is what you smell like. This is these, all that came back. I remember that transference. That other than that, I don't have any other memory like childhood memory of Haiti. Other than when I went back when I was fourteen, and that was very different. That was me running around, being ridiculous, and having fun <laughs> vacation with my with my cousins and them taking me places and us driving cars with no speed limits. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah, we, yeah. All right. <laughs> there's rules like we got. See, there's, there's so many rules that we got here. There's rules in Haiti, but they're not observed. Okay, like. Right? A, it's it's very normal for a bunch of young kids to jump in the back of a pickup and go and be driving. We was four, uh, yo, my mother knew we was doing a hundred on the back of a pickup on some back road. Yo, nuts! But I I, I remember that though. <laughs> <laughs> so, how
0: was it like identification wise growing up? Like, did you identify as like Haitian American or just like Black American?
1: I identified growing up. That's funny because growing up, I identified as straight Haitian because like my, my like my family was completely from Haitian, like Haiti. Like my dad is the first generation of anything in America ever. My like, every 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 like family member in America that we have now, and it's like scattered. Like we're from Utah, L.A., here, Philly, everywhere, scattered all over the country. You
0: got black people in Utah.
1: Yeah, my parents, <laughs> and aunt have a home out there and a medical practice. They have their own medical practice. That
0: yeah,
1: yeah. They they originally lived here in New York. Everyone starts here in New York because, and that's my dad. My dad essentially got everyone their citizenships. Everyone who came here, you, my dad helped you with that process of the paper. So he came and then set the set the footwork for everyone else. So I always had a, a connection to my Haitian identity in that kind of a way of like, yo, you're Haitian. And then also, and also growing up in New York, they tend to remind you that, of that. You know, like like, it wasn't all that accepting. The only people who accepted me and that space was like my Caribbeans, like Jamaicans, uh, Trinidadians. They were they were they were fucking with Haitians, but black like Americans, African Americans don't wasn't fucking with Haitians. They were they were trying to crack jokes and be stupid, all this other nonsense that you had to deal with. Like oh, you came here on a boat? I was like no, I didn't. I was on a plane. I landed in JFK. Um, <laughs> all that stuff I had to deal with also. So it wasn't always a. I I I think I, for most I identified as Haitian on on every spectrum because that was whether it was good or bad that was always highlighted.
0: Right. It's crazy to me as we're starting this conversation how like how much we have in common. Like it's crazy cuz <laughs> like I'm thinking about my family and our journey and my grandfather came here first um with uh my uncles. My grandmother came a year later with my aunts and my mom and <laughs> You know, it, just like the whole sort of being a West Indian American in New York City. And yeah, just like and I think that's initially how you and I first started talking because we were at a, a Jed Foundation event and I spoke at the event and I told a story about, you know, my West Indian grandmother, yep. um, you know, and, and after the event, we were there was like a little cocktail party or whatever. And we got introduced to her. You and your brother introduced yourselves to me, or however that worked. And I think the first thing you said is you were like, "Yo, that story about your grandmother and, and you know having West Indian parents." And you know, we just like related from that second. So
1: <laughs> it was hella relatable. It made I remember it made so much sense, and I was like, "Oh man, he gets it." You know, like, <laughs> like like oh, he knows exactly what it was like growing up and what because those norms haven't really changed, man, and. That's a thing that's ongoing and and, and and that's just like what it is. It, it, it is funny how those cultural connections, you tend to connect on that on all levels, no matter. Those things will forever connect us no matter what. That's the thing. Like anywhere you go, if you want into a West Indian person, you immediately have a connection because mm-hmm. your path to be in this country, very similar, no matter what it was. Somebody got here and sent back for other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I always say that, like, when I start to think about, like, oh, I start to, like, self-loathe and I start to, like, put myself down. Like, oh, man, like, life is so hard. This is so difficult for me. And I start to get into my first world idiot problems in my mind. Uh, I, rem- I I remind myself that my dad landed in America w- without speaking English and had $80 in his pocket. Damn. So I'll be like, yeah. Nothing I'm, about to, I'm trying to do right now is that hard. It's not that hard. Don't forget it. <laughs> like if I have to, I, I'm like if I can't call my dad and complain about it, then yeah, I can't. Then it's not worth complaining about. Yeah, it.
0: and and you know if your dad did all that, he ain't trying to hear about no. Uh...
1: <laughs> hear about the routing, ain't, oh, ain't working. Or yo, I wanted the feeder to premiere the song, but I had to get he not he like. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> like, you know how hard it was getting the job and you can't speak English? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, you right. But he did it. I'm like, he had two kids, because my brother was my, my youngest brother who was in a band, he was born here. And he landed in America and he just, there was no one here. There wasn't relatives. He had a friend here. That is it, Who who let him rent a room in Brooklyn. That's it.
0: That's it?
1: And I'm like, that. when I think of that, if you threw me in a place where the, I don't know the language and you give me $80 Even, even if you
0: adjust that for inflation Yeah <laughs> That's probably like $300 or something like that yeah. now
1: If we adjust it for inflation, it's literally like, yo I'm going to send you to America, you're going to have like $300, you're not going to know how to speak the language and you have no one and you, and you don't got no cell phone Mm-hmm I was—I always think about it, like you landed at JFK like that, and figured, and you somehow, literally, have brought every member in my family here. Everyone has a reputable profession. There's doctors, there's lawyers, there's all this. You put three kids through school and college. You bought a home. You did. You you built another home in Haiti when you were like from eighty dollars in Malanga. I said, listen, I got to do something great. <laughs> Like, like cause this is the this that's where you set the bar. Like, all right, here we go. I I have to I have to go hard. Not tell people and you know West Indians already you gotta go hard. They not playing no games with you anyway. So you put that on top of that? I was like, okay. That's one to, thing I, that
0: I always that I think about a lot is just the work ethic. And I think partially it's a West Indian thing, or partially it's an immigrant thing like coming from another country and seeing America as like this land of opportunity and you want to make yourself a success because that's the the way the story goes. You come to America and be successful and just learning and working and hustling until you have made yourself a success. And I, I don't know if a lot of people like even like get that work ethic now.
1: Nah, it's a little different. I think they still do it. They just have the options are different on how to go about achieving it and and, and the definition of success is different too. Well, that's one of the things I've looked into. Like, what, what, what our parents and and and, and our grandparents and great grandparents considered success was more survival. Yes. And for us, success isn't a success isn't uh uh quantified by our needs. It's quantified by our wants. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. A lot of our our parents went for their needs first. They ensured, they, they went hard and lost sleep to ensure that you're not homeless, you eat, those were the things. And then wants came afterwards. Whereas we have those liberties and what I call privileges and luxuries to go, all right, like a need is never in my, I never in my mind ever think I'm not going to have what I need. Okay. I'm always going to have a roof over my head, food in my mouth. So now in my mind, success is getting a bunch of stuff that I want. That's what it was. Um, obviously now as I'm like matured and there's so much shit that I wanted that, that doesn't even matter anymore. Like, <laughs> I, don't care. like I, I don't even care to go that hard for that. It's so mundane, so real. some of the stuff I couldn't even I wouldn't believe I went that hard to even achieve that. Like whatever. It's cool. But I've learned that that I think that's what a, this generation is they're doing. They are just like engulfed in their wants and then they also in a weird space in time where uh the past no longer impacts them on what their future is gonna look like. So they 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 can create their own future right now, even though we've always had that option, but that option now is just on, it because the new world is being written. Right. And I say that because if you're growing up in this era, like technology is your world. The things the things that we used to go out and want are needs now. Right. You see, like a, a computer was a want before. A, com- a, a cell phone, all these things were wants. For this generation, it's like necessities. You necess- complete necessities. So for them, what are their wants? Their wants are the things that disconnect you from the necessities. Their wants are the vacations and the homes and all these other things that were wants of ours, but they can actually even achieve those faster than we could. Right. And that's the thing. So, like, no, they don't want to buy a home that puts them in 300000 four a $1 million, whatever it might be, in debt they'll rather just rent and experience life and i think i like that more they're less attached to just they're less attached to stuff well the and definition
0: that- of success has changed so much like you know it's gone from having a a home and a spouse and two kids and the white picket fence to like there's a million and one different definitions of success now and they're all acceptable you know what i'm saying
1: Exactly. You're right. Because before, if you didn't have the 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 I guess the perfect picture things, you were considered unsuccessful. Right. Now it's just kind of like, hey, if you're living the life you want to live, that's considered success. Yeah. As long as you're happy and that and I love that. There's obviously there's ups and downs with it and there's pitfalls in certain spaces, but I I believe if people like 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 even for me, and I had this conversation yesterday with my best friend, and I told him I'm like, yo. Like, yes, I used to want to be the biggest artist in the world. Like, I still do inside. Like, as an artist, you, you long, that's always gonna, that, that concert, that 300,000 people concert that you had in your room consistently for years, that's always the goal. Like, that's that, that goal never changes. But as you get older, you just start to realize, like, "Eh, it's all right if I don't. Like, what does success mean to me? And we had that conversation as a band. We said, yo, this, what does success mean for us like really not what not the picture like what and we all came and what's funny we all came back with these very very like reasonable things we all came back with like listen we being able to do what we love aka music making a living off of it it doesn't I don't need to be rich it's just being able to take care of myself and do what I love was the consistent answer to the question and it was like so in even my goals I'm like listen I just want this thing that I've put so much of my life into. To see the light that I wanted to see. Like, Oxy's has seen the light, but I know it's because we have a bigger message. We have a point to why we're always doing it. And it's about the culminate. That's the point right now. And once that sees through, I'm not gonna hold you. Like, I wanna do that. I wanna have a mental health practice. Like, I really want to be able to be a, a complete mental health activist and push forward in that space. And I wanna own a coffee shop. I, I didn't know about the coffee shop thing. Oh, so, regular, just like pull up, talk to people, make some brews. And just chill out. And like I want to connect with people on the on the on in the simplest way on the on the simplest level. Even if I have to get up every day, old dude waking up, open my coffee shop, say hi to everybody. That's just I'm completely okay with that. Like, you know, like ex rock star is my is 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 my goal. Okay. you see the picture it's like all right yeah i did that already and it doesn't need to i don't need to if our band does obviously fantastic we become one of the biggest bands in the world who's gonna say no to that i would lie if i said i don't want to be that come on let's not let's not kid ourselves but if we just get this uh, a certain like i said uh, a sustainable level of success in that space combined with being able to push mental health forward especially for minorities because that's my focus. Am I a coffee shop? Man, I'm good. <laughs> so, so let's backtrack for a
0: minute. I actually want to know, when you decided that you wanted to be a musician, what your parents thought? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hells no. They were like, yo, my mom wanted me to be a respiratory therapist or a lawyer. Like, very specific jobs. Respiratory therapist, because yeah, she that's super specific. She, she's one. That's what okay. she did. She's one and she know it works <laughs> and you can make a living, a good living, and do that. And then a lawyer, because she always said I could do it. She's like, you're 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 passionate, you're smart. And, he, and she was like, You since you were a kid, you've argued with facts. You've never argued with opinions. She was like, You would come to me. I used to come to her when I wanted something with it laid out on not only what I wanted, how I can get it, and why it won't bother anyone else if I got it. I would wow. plead my face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so she was like, you were doing that, she's like, yeah, this kid's got to be a lawyer. And I did go to school, for all, but I just, I don't believe in the system enough. Um, once you're in it, you kind of really see the pitfalls and I realize I'm more of a person that wants to help people than to perpetuate a system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, don't you think you can help people in that space? Yes and no. That's what people don't realize until you're in it. Um, you can help, but the system is structured that you don't help fully. You will forever put on band-aids for people mm-hmm. only every day, but the system is designed to do what it does. And I didn't want to play a role in that, so it, it no longer was what I was pursuing, and 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 it just didn't make me happy. Like there was nothing about it that made me go, "Yo, I want to do this." You know, I got a I got a, a lead investigative job at the Manhattan DEA's office, like, and I did that just to show my mother I could. This is the the thing that you wanted me to achieve. I have achieved it, but guess what? I'm turning it down. I'm gonna do music because that's what I want to do. Right. Um, and and that's and that's one of the things that I see in this generation is like doing what you want to do, it's kind of like that's what's bringing me the most happiness. Obviously, until it got to a certain point, music wasn't doing anything financially, like it's trash. Like, like let's be real, that's if people don't realize, that, I'll be telling like, uh, uh, music is trash forever until you get a hit record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that because you yeah, work in music, yeah, because I, I know I know how people get paid. Yo, artists think like, but do get paid. People think that misconception because you do some stuff and yeah yeah you got a blue check on Instagram and a whole bunch of this other nonsense that somehow your bills are paid completely and you're and you're living the the highlight reel that they get to see. I'm like I don't realize that little three minute tape you seen comes with a whole bunch of other stuff before it, in the middle of it, and after it. Mm-hmm. That's what people don't realize when it comes to the music space. So with that, it's just kind of like I, my parents never. Wanted me to be the broke musician. Like that just was not a thing. Even though I did I'm a broke musician a couple of times. I don't can't people don't even realize like we were on we were on fire in 2016, kind of like with Smart Everything. Yo, we went on tour with Waka, our song started going, we uh, viral on Spotify, uh, everything. We, we did our own geeked out uh headline tour. Then we came and did a 40 city tour with astronaut was at the end of the day. like it was nuts, we was going crazy, every blog talking about us, yada yada. Yo, I came home from that final end of that tour. Like, I remember. We will never forget this. I remember. I'll never forget it. I came home from doing all that stuff. And everybody's like, you guys are the greatest. And I came home in November, and I had $20 in my bank account. Damn. That was
0: 2016.
1: Damn. <laughs> yeah, look, look. He said, oh, it was just like, I could show you all these accolades, all these big companies, Doc Martens, all these people. We're on all this stuff. We used home for the holidays with Cindy Lop. I'm talking about, yo, I, the accolades would do the roof. It but was that insane. shit doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't pay shit, but you need to build those accolades. Right. And people don't realize that. So my mom never wanted that. She was just like, no, that doesn't make sense. You're way too smart. Always have a backup plan. And so I did. I went to school, got a backup plan, did do what I did. But then things just kind of fell into place in other words. Because it's funny, it's like even the... Why I love technology so much, I've always been like that. I was in the music, like, I was coding and doing shit during the C eras. Like, a lot of people don't. You see, look, I just said C. Uh Like, I was doing that kind of, like, my MySpace page, I was coding the hell out of that. I was lit. Like, what do you like? That's why, so, so making this transition as far as like understanding how technology connects with other things, that's always been a passion. So, that will always be there because it's just something I'm interested in. Like, I've had. Cell phone since Snake.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I've had well. cell phones longer than I've had cell phones.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, because I, I had them at a very... And also, my aunt worked for the UN, so there were a lot of things I was exposed to very early. Like, she mm-hmm. had more. Phones and um, different SIM cards to switch for different territories. I knew that at a young age, like at a very young age, I knew that that was a thing. Like America was the only place where cell phones were locked to certain carriers. And these, this is information my aunt is feeding me. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. So I had that I kind of a mind very early. Like it was like, oh, okay. Like I've had every Apple product there is and kind of the Apple whore in that kind of a sense where it's just like, yo. I'm there. My whole life is synced to their products, but I like, it. and I know why I like it. I don't, I don't just like it because it looks cool. I like it because it's, it's user friendly and it just connects the dots. Cause I can dive in. Cause my favorite operating system is Linux, but you can't have a Linux conversation with a regular, like with the average person. They you don't know what the fuck you talking about. They gonna be like, that doesn't mean anything to me. So it's like, for me, I'm like, cool. But technology and music, my parents wasn't with that. So I went to school, got what I needed to get, did the bounce back, been grinding my ass off and music is about to pay off and in the process of it it's been crazy because i've been able to pursuing something that i love opened up so many other things you know and that's the and that was the wildest thing is just like even like losing danny and then for the fact that he pushed me to do music and then i'm also in the space of of being a mental health advocate and understanding more things about mental health. And like, while finding no son, I've, in this process, I found something that I'm just as passionate about music as, and that's been the coolest part. I look at this stuff and I'm uh, not to tell you, like people might be mad at me. I'm pseudo a little bit more passionate about this. You know, I I feel like it's, it, it, for me, at least it's more important. And I can invoke more change in this space and help people more than I can in music, music, Music is the soundtrack to this space for me.
0: And levels of passion can be fluid. I mean, you're not going to necessarily be passionate about the same thing day in, day out for the rest of your life. Like, as people change, our interests and our passions change as well.
1: Exactly. And so that's where that and this is just kind of like, yo, I'm in this space where you're like, yeah, music is there. And I and it's funny because you kind of juggle with that in your mind because when you push so hard on one passion for so long, you go, Am I? do I not love music anymore? Mm-hmm been there that discussion with myself with the yo and if i put that and then you're a person who believes in energy i put that into the universe i'm gonna mess up my whole (laughs) manifest. it's like everything i know about myself is wrong exactly and i'm like bro relax it's not that it's not that deep um understand that you can be passionate about two things and also because i was completely oblivious to it until it hit me explain that further like like i didn't under like Mental health for me was always, to be quite frank, crazy people. Um, that's what it there was. I there thought. was there was there was normal people, and then there was crazy people. And I have a and that's a very West Indian <laughs> framework to it. And you gotta remember that there was people who could deal with their shit, and there's people who can't. And the people who can't deal with their stuff are crazy. And you never want to be on the crazy side. They, those are the shuns of society. Those are not some of them. you like that, not good people. And if they were good people, this thing kind of happened to them, and now they're no longer of value. And that's what, and you, and you, and it was a fear associated with it. Yeah. It was like, oh man, I never want to be in that space. Like the word therapy means something is going tragically wrong. <laughs> you no,
0: know, like in, in that community, spe- I, I mean, I can only speak from it because that's my experience. There is definitely like um a stigma attached to having any kind of mental health issues it's always like you know you don't go out there and tell tell any white people about what's going on in this house or what's going on with you and whatever like there's yep. just like it's not a normalized conversation like it's what so, are,
1: you crazy? are you crazy it's so because it's so it's normalized like like my mom when she watched the interview of just the other day we just had a call oh, together two days she's like oh, oh so awesome she's like. I also didn't know you went, it was that different Like what? With the therapy. I'm like, mom, yeah, we didn't talk about a lot of stuff in, in its totality because there's, I understand that you guys grew up different from me and I understand you're always going to have certain point of views on certain things. And I go, why go through a battle with you guys trying to make you become and understand what I'm going through or what I'm fighting or the things that I'm doing when I could just show you. You know, I felt that my actions would speak a lot louder than my words. And then in due time, you would understand because you are a a woman who tends to open up to the truth, regardless of what your beliefs were. So that 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 this process has been great for that because it's just opening so many doors to to my family, like living their truth and letting go of some uh, cultural norms that cause trauma. Like even we talked about my cousin, Kenny, who's gay and. And I'm like, my mom's like, do you think? And I'm like, mom, he is. I talked to him about it. <laughs>
0: right.
1: Talking to y'all because y'all not ready for that conversation. And his dad, like, I was. I told her, I said, like, you just the only person who knew was my aunt, who's just super hip. She already knew. Like, my, my aunt's like, yo, I've known him forever. Like, whatever. Whenever he's ready, he's gonna have the conversation with us. But you know, but all the young kids, all of us. We all knew, like, and we all he, all he. Kenny came as he spoke to us about all of this, and it's just now my mom's like, oh man, like he could come and talk to me about that, and he's like, I would accept him for him, but and I was like, but our cultural norms does not say that at all, so there's no he's gonna jump out the window and take that pseudo risk of exposing that without being fully emotionally ready for it. And she's just like, oh, man, I completely get it. And never thought it was hitting us. And that the things that they didn't think could ever hit us did. And now they're like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. Like, even my dad, as a West Indian dude, who does not believe in, yo, fuck, no way. Get out of here with that. He like, yeah, I got to look at the what, how I grew up and what I was taught is different. And I'm like, it's funny how when things hit you, they really change your perspective on it, especially if you're a person that's open in, in, with change. And that's one of the biggest things. And I'm blessed to have that in my family. And so when like this journey with coming with mental health and being in this space has been awesome. And, it's, and, and and for me, it's, it's all felt like one mistake. One thing I wanted to talk to you about in general was something that has been crossing my mind recently, feeling like. With Danny's scenario, because feeling I used to have this thing in me that felt like that I just recently started to overcome where it was like straddling the line where I felt like my my advocacy wasn't viewed as opportunism. I
0: understand that. And to provide a little bit of context here, Danny was your best friend um, who took his own life. Yes. And that yeah. I think I, and I'm not trying to speak for you here. That is sort of what set you on this yeah. journey.
1: Yes, it set me on this path. It made it very real for me. Right. It all those things that were like, oh, every stereotype, every stigma that I learned and actually perpetuated in some spaces, went out the window. When your best friend, the dude who's like the happiest dude I knew, like he it, it broke every rule that I thought was a rule mm-hmm. was dismantled completely. And mm-hmm. I was just like, Oh my God, this isn't what it is. And then that would. And then, as a truth seeker by nature, it set me on a path to go, okay, if this was gonna hit Danny, that means it hits a lot of people. And if it's hitting us in this way, why, how, who? I had so many questions, so I just had to go find answers. had to. I mean,
0: I think that opportunism isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um I think a lot of times it takes you needing to be in a situation to understand the situation and make other people understand the situation and i think about that sometimes too i'm like would i be a mental health advocate if i didn't have mental health issues would i be like an advocate for queer people if i wasn't myself queer like you know
1: is it (laughs) self-serving
0: it absolutely is self-serving but being self-serving being opportunistic being selfish We're taught that those are bad words. They're not bad words. And I think it would be negatively selfish or negatively opportunistic to say, well, I just want rights for me. But I want rights for everybody in this situation. And also the reason or there are many reasons, but one reason that I'm vocal about this stuff is because I don't want people growing up the way I grew up. Feeling all of this like conflict and confusion about what to do and just being in this like dark hole for so many years when, you know, all I really needed to do, I mean, again, it's not, I'm oversimplifying it, but, you know, I just needed to find a therapist and kind of, when there's a roadmap to this stuff. And I think a lot of people either don't realize that there's a roadmap or don't think the roadmap applies to them. So if I can say, hey this is what I went through and this is what I'm doing about it. And one other person is like, oh, well, if Mike is dealing with this, this sounds similar to what I'm dealing with. Let me maybe try to work stuff out in my own case. Then it becomes it's self-serving, but it's also serving others. You That's know true. what I'm saying? Yes. So, you know, I think, and look, I've worked on projects with you. I've heard you talk. And when you speak about not only Danny's situation, but your situation, A, it helps me just because, you don't you you don't see a lot of of black men in the mental health space. You don't see a lot of um, West Indian American men in the mental health space speaking honestly. So for me, it's like an identification thing, number one. And I think other people hear your story and it just kind of opens their mind, A, because they think because you're a musician, like your life is fucking grand, which, you know, (laughs) <laughs> i know better but a lot of people don't and just because you're so honest and um open about stuff and people relate because people keep all of this shit inside until they like people like us give other people permission to live in their truth you know what i'm saying
1: got it um, so pseudo just sets people free in that kind of way and 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 that's where that struggle came from where it's kind of like all right well I'm doing this I don't want anyone to ever think that I'm doing this for brownie points right or doing this to be cool or doing this for any other reason um I do this because I think it's extremely important and then being in the space I didn't realize how important it is for me to do this and be just like for me to do this and be authentic and be and speak my truth um people don't realize that it's like like even like I take a a, a I take great pride and pleasure and understanding the opportunities that Jed has offered me. But I also don't when I'm with when I'm working with Jed, I, I feel like it's very one sided. How so? I, um, as far as like representation. You know, and I feel like I feel like minorities don't have a lot of voices in the space, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, how can I be that space and to shed light and to shed information to people who look like me, and deal with the things, similar things that I deal with, you know, and, and and what does that look like, and how could I be an advocate for not just, for both, but also for the ones who don't realize, like you said, that there is a path, There there is a way to deal with this, and there's a way to go about it, and there's these things, the information isn't the same, like, um, understanding there's a set-to-run program, and understanding what they're doing for kids in high school, to helping you transition um, from, from one space to the other space. That's something I think kids go across the board and struggle with, right? But these programs, when I go speak at these schools, it's predominantly white kids. And I'm just, and I'm being honest, and I never like to put, I don't always like to put color into anything I'm doing. But when you talk about the disparities in minority minority communities, me shedding light on that side isn't taking away from one side. Right. And that's what I, and I want people to fully understand that. I, I, I want the, converse, the conversations that are happening in non-minorities communities about mental health need to happen in minority communities. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's crazy how many walls you have to bust through to make the conversation resonate with minorities because there's, there's a cultural conversation you know, and there's a stigma and it doesn't matter whether it's black culture, lat- Latino culture or Asian culture. There's a yep. block when it there's comes to mental health. I, and I don't know why. It's just it's I think some of it is the immigrant mentality. And sure. at least in in black, a lot of black and Latinx um, communities, I think there's a whole like. Like, I'll give you an example. Like I was reading something on the. um was it the news? I read something somewhere last night where it said someone said that the reason a lot of men aren't wearing masks is because it like threatens their invincibility, their masculinity, like that thing that's kind of built in you. It's like, oh, I'm a tough guy. I, I don't need this shit. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a very similar conversation around mental health. Men are conditioned to be tough and strong. And like there's this fear that if you ask someone for help or you have a moment of weakness or you even have a moment of confusion that you're not a man anymore
1: yes yes and yes and it's so crazy because one of the most one of the defining moments of my adulthood was playing college ball and a very specific coach coach lee was my guy coach lee helped me transition in so many ways when i went away to school and couldn't and dealt with the culture shock of being um in a rural area versus being in a city area and mad different stuff and and I remember the things. It's the, it's the things that we were taught. And Coach Lee's whole philosophy was no excuses. And and you would you pu- would push through. Mental toughness was this was the statement. Right. It was like, yo, know, mental toughness, no excuses. We push through. And that did help me in a lot of ways like there was like i knew there was no excuses i put i put i put my all into the court I put my all into everything and did everything and how i don't remember he'd always say your behavior on court reflects who you are off court like everything like it was just all these things that were kind of drilled into my mind and i think about that and i go yeah we aren't as men we aren't like we're predisposed to be like yeah i could we're supposed to be physically able to get through everything because we're supposed to be providers, we're supposed to be protectors, we're supposed to be everything in that kind of a space and having a moment of weakness is not allowed. So a lot of men don't want to have the conversation. That's why when, even when I was sitting talking to Keith Powell, it was awesome. He's an amazing dude. And I, and I, would, I would need him to meet you because you guys would click so much. Be dope. So he's so amazing. We just both sat there and laughed for a little bit about just like, yo, like, this is the conversation that's just supposed to happen, and we are capable of having these conversations because in other spaces in our lives, we are surrounded by men that's okay to have this conversation. and But we're such a small piece of the community, it's insane. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. We want to bring that out. We want to go, guys, guess what? You could be the big one of the biggest actors out. You could be doing all this cool stuff. You could be a musician. You could be any of these roles and still face all of these things. They're normal. Let's talk now, let's open this door. I, like, it don't make me less cool because I have anxiety and sometimes don't want to move or, or scared to go do something. you know, or I have to prep myself before I walk into rooms and talk myself into this space or, or like what we talked about in our interview, taking a shot real quick to lower that anxiety. Like, like people don't realize those are real things, and I didn't know how to talk about them until life forced me to. I didn't know. I didn't even know they were things until Danny died. I didn't understand any of that stuff, and it took a year for me to even process his death, let alone what it came with and what it was associated with. And that was always big. So I always look at it like, oh man, like, like, and 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 Danny's Puerto Rican, and and we just kind of like, yo, it's so. And Danny, and what's funny with Danny, his whole mantra was his whole like being. A, everyone called him Superman. He was invincible. like literally and that was he had a tattoo to his arm and man we just don't like we just don't get that and in the and and in the space of men of color like it was was great to see that all of these conversations like this one and everything that i'm having is opening and shedding so much light to that like it was beautiful watching how many dudes dm'd me and was just like yo i feel like that yo you think we could talk one day like yeah Yo, I'm, grown men are literally opening up to someone they don't even know. You don't know me from a hole in a wall. Right. That was just like, and it's been a consistent thing. Every time I'm like, oh, so that's why I understood when you said, we're giving people the freedom to just feel like they can just do this and that it's okay. Yeah. I can't, and, and for me at least, that's why I did music too. Music was, a, it was a, it's an outlet. I did music because it was an outlet and we did it the way we do it with oxymorons is really to show minority kids like you can make any genre of music you want. <laughs> and that's that's another
0: thing I actually want to talk to you about. And I don't know if commend you is the right word, but like, you know, I'm a slightly different generation than you. And I think it's a lot less now, but I think there were really specific rules when I was growing up on what Blackness was. And if you dressed a certain way or listened to a certain type of music, or had a certain kind of attitude, like there were people of all ethnicities um, who considered you inauthentic. And I think that conversation is changing or has changed with with younger people where there's a wider acceptance of the fact that there is more than one way to be Black. (laughs) Um, But, you know, from your, like, one thing, like, I, I, you know, one thing I love about you is that, you know, you make, you make music, I mean, and it's 100% black music. And if you are black and making music, you are making black music, no matter what, actually, if you, no matter what color you are, if you're making music, you're making black music. Um, But I love the fact that, that y'all are expanding those boundaries and you're doing it in a way that's unapologetic and that, you know, you're so open about your love for like technology and all of this, like, you know, like geeky kind of nerdy stuff and on top of the mental health stuff. And it's just like expanding the parameters, um, for, you know, brothers, for younger brothers and older brothers who feel like they have to act a certain way in order to be authentic. And then seeing, you know, someone like you, you know, people like Frank and people like, you know, I, you know, whoever Michael B. Jordan, whoever it is. And, you know, realizing that that narrative isn't really true
1: you yes I mean? and it's a constant narrative it's it's it started because when we started oxys and making this music we were always told we were making white people music and i was a kid who always knew my musical history my dad loves music he, like i was always exposed to a lot of different types of music and know where it came from so when you you tell me rock and roll it's white people music. I, I, I legit used to laugh at dudes like, oh, you. And then, then I start to realize, oh no. He, it's been so whitewashed that they don't really know that it, this is their music. They have no clue. Like, it wasn't until the other day when I explained it to a few people, but they were just like, I was like, do you realize, like, you you rock loves distorted guitars? There is no distorted guitar without Reset the Thor. Like a, a black queer woman <laughs> made, created distorted guitars yeah. and, and influenced every person we love in rock, influenced that. And that's passed on to Chuck, that passed on to uh, Little Richard, that passed on to everyone. And people don't understand the, the historical context that comes behind the music. And when I realized that was the thing, and as Oxies, our whole thing was to be unapologetically ourselves. That was our statement from day one. So we we're just like, you know what? Then now we know what we have to do. And we went on this, and we sought out, and it, and and I tell people it's not, it, it's it wasn't, and it still isn't the easiest path. You know how easy it could have been for us to just, yeah, you know, let's make some trap music. Boom, we made a couple songs. Boom, they go, they blow up. We could have moved. I we know how to make music, and we have enough connections in the industry to make things move. Right. Most difficult thing in the world it has been to convince people that black kids can make this music. It's been insane, like and. And I don't think we're making anything that's sonically like, it's sonically dope and it's sonic, but that's sonically not black. I used to be like, they. I was like, you don't know what to do with us, but you know what to do with 21 Pilots?
0: Right.
1: They're rapping and singing and playing instruments. I'm like, we used to argue, I had to fight with people, my public purposes Chrissy had to fight with people to be like, to call us a band, to use the phrase band. They would keep calling us a rap group. And I'm like, we are a band. I said, you don't. But and then the, the answer would always be, you're rapping. And i said be like, you don't call Rage Against the Machine a group. They rapped the whole time. He rapped the whole time. He didn't sing anything. Right. So what a so sudden? And then they, in their minds, would be wrong. And I'd be like, yeah, you don't even realize what you're perpetuating with the statements that you're saying. I would say this to so many uh, editors and all these people and all these A and R's and all these people are like, what? I know we don't fit into a box. I'm sorry you can't plug us into your, your pre-play and figure out that you got to do some kind of work. But guess what? No no legends in music ever fit in a box. Everyone who was groundbreaking in music and who set paths did it their own way. Yep. And it just took longer to find someone that would accept it because most of the business are people who just most of the business people don't have music identities. They're told what they like rather than go get go after what they like right. and that's been that fight with oxys it's just been kind of that's why it's taken so long in our in our minds and, and not even our minds in our experience and dealing with all that and when we speak the truth and and watching kids light up and open up to like oh so i can do that i'm like yeah dude that don't make you less hood like, i grew up in south side queens like yeah i w- wasn't always accepted to be we, we were we were the weirdos we was the dudes listening to I was the dude listening to Queen and skating and playing basketball. I was that weirdo. Like and then and in, in high school and what made this transition even easier as an adult cuz in high school I was yo, I would hang out with the geeks and watch and I always loved Dragon Ball Z. I always loved anime and read comic books. I'd be at the table with those dudes. They'd be like, "But you play sports and you you're good." I'm like, "So I can't read comic books and do that <laughs> because I'm good?" Yes? What what do you And it was like that like the the blackness thing, it was like, oh, and I can't be black and do this. Either. Like, what what, the, what? are y'all talking about? It was so, to me, it was blasphemy, but it was such a normal thing. And it still very much is. It's being broken now, and I love it because these kids are just blending and doing kind of like whatever they want, and I'm so happy for that. But it's just like, yeah, like, you're spot on, bro. Like, that that wasn't a thing that just was from your time and your era. It's still much here, very so much now, and we don't get the play. That, I just had this conversation with someone. I said... One of my favorite rappers is Machine Gun Kelly, and I really like him from the new I, as far as new generation rappers. Mm-hmm. And I really like Machine Gun Kelly, and I said, but you realize, and I pointed this out. There, I said, do you realize how easy it's been for him to make the transition from straight rapper to rocker? Because and not for any other. And, and I respect Machine Gun Kelly because he took the time out. He learned to play guitars. He learned to play the drums. He the music sounds good because he's he's not a poser, but. His whiteness allowed him to jump into the space in a way that we can't even jump into the space from jump. Right. But in reverse, I said why is hip hop and black culture a lot more accepting and the reverse isn't. Like anytime a black person jumps into another genre, they have to they have this astronomical uphill battle of of I guess proving themselves in the space and proving they belong and and, and they have value.
0: It's like you got to go back to zero and then push yourself back up the hill exactly which is crazy
1: but when other other genres jump in or other uh, other races jump into what we've created because you know we've created it all but what we but what the one thing that we've created for through media
0: right
1: we're very accepting post malone's another example you can ping in and out however and i think anyone should be able to ping in and out however you want the only thing that should matter is if the music's good or not
0: exactly
1: Exactly. That's it. If it's trash, say it's trash. I don't right. care what. And that's how we are. If you're a black dude and you come to me with trash rock music, I'm be like, bro, it's trash. It's trash, dude.
0: right? Regardless. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's there's, there's it, really just music you like and music you don't like?
1: All this other stuff is just the business categorizing things in order to sell it and monetize on it, right. and and then also to drive agendas and push things. And I, I really don't get it. I say that all the time. I'm like, because I had people go, "This damn hip hop is ruined." all there is is this trash trap stuff. And and I'm like, you know how much great music is out there? It's just not being marketed.
0: You got to look for it.
1: You got to. You can't, it's not going to be, that's not going to just land on your, your, your hips anymore. It's just not going to just land on you. You've got to go out there and find the type of music you like because the type of music you like is being created. And it's being created at an extremely high level. It's really, really good music out there. It's just, if your identity lies in mainstream, then you're going to always, music to you is always going to be what the people who run the, industry are feeding you music. Yeah. And so oxys we're we counter that and people love us and people hate us at the same time for it and we're okay with that.
0: <laughs> That's I think the way to be. Look, not everybody's going to rock with your mission. Nope. You know? And you know, one thing just in in like a global context, not even specific to music that I'm trying to like get myself to do more is focus on the people and the things that bring you positivity as opposed to the people and things that are bringing you negativity. Yes. Um, cause there's always going to be both. And I think, you know, part of living a healthier life, part of living a better life is just focusing on the things that make you happy and the people that make you happy. Um, you know, and trying to pay less attention to the things that make you upset or the people that make you upset.
1: Exactly. It was kind of this thing that triggered a, with us to also just focus on, Focus on the people who love and support us. That's just it.
0: Yeah.
1: We don't have to. I don't have to fight to be accepted in another space. I'm accepted in the space I'm accepted in. Amen to that. And and as it and as that space grows, the message will grow. And I'm not the message. I am not like I'm part of that. This is this was this this fight because when we toured with Fishbone, I had this conversation with Angela, and and he and he broke it down to us. He was like. He was like, listen, because we were like, yeah, forget the establishment. Fuck that. Da-da-da-da-da. We raging. Da-da-da. he was like, man, y'all so y'all remind us of us when we were. He was like, one thing y'all gotta remember is though, and he's like, the thing that he did, this is Fishbones one regret. his regret. They said that to us. Their regret was this not taking the label deal and setting a path for kids like us. There's no reason why they had to do what they had to do and we're still fighting the same fight. Right. He was like, "That's the only thing." He said, "We should have, instead of leaning into our youth and our and our passion to just to, to 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 be rebellious, only but set a path. So after you're done and you can't fight anymore, the door's blown wide open. The fight can continue without the kids having to now open the door again. Right. The door didn't just shut; it didn't make all your work for nothing." He was like, "And that's what he's seeing." He's like, "It's amazing to see that there's a lot of these kids, but it's also sad to the point that." To see that we're that we're fight we're fighting the fight they were fighting still, and he was like in that in the same way, and he was like that's crazy. So he was like, as you get attention and all this stuff starts happening and you're enjoying it or whatever, or if you feel like you hate major labels and all, all the stuff that was oh that's already been there, remember when you're done the baton got to get, get passed.
0: that's
1: right. And what you want to do? Are you going to give the runner behind you a lead, or is he going to start off at the same point when you started off running? And I said, damn. And that hit me. And I was like, you know what? Now nah, we got to give them a lead. We have to. So it doesn't... The conversation isn't about Oxy. This isn't about us. This has always been bigger than us. In every facet. We're just going to push the narrative and push the message as far as we can take it and then pass the baton. And that's... <laughs> and that's-
0: yeah, I was about to say, that's, we need to apply that to everything. You know, whether it's like the mental health work or, you know, music or whatever it is. Like, we just you know, trying to leave the place better. You know, it's like you want to leave the apartment better for the next, when you move out of an apartment, you want to leave the apartment in better shape for the next people who move in.
1: That's it. And that's that's such a, that's such a great way to put it. For real, because essentially that's what you want to do. We came into the business in one way and we are like, oh, okay, certain roads were paved and certain roads weren't. Um, I'd like the roads to be paved. I'd like every road that we've touched that whoever's coming behind us, they have a little easier route. Right. Like, cause you know, it's never going to be really perfect because each generation is going to have their struggles, no matter what it is. That's just part of life. But I don't want you starting from zero every single time. So it's like that. And that's why we're doing this. And that's why it's cool for me. I'm like, yeah, when kids hit me and like, yo, can we do this? Can we do that? You see like, like, it's so funny. Cause like I'm watching him pseudo get a little bit surpass us in, in a lot of different spaces. Rick Wilson, if you know Rick, right i've known he does this thing it's kind of like disco trap like it's really really cool he's a he's a he's a um he's a queer black kid from chicago who who kind of like blends genres and does whatever he wants i met rick wilson five years ago four or five years ago he hit oxy page up on on on, on myspace and was not, not myspace i mean uh um soundcloud uh-huh. so- And he was like, yo, you guys are so inspirational to me. I've never seen black dudes who just do this kind of music. This is the kind of music I want to make. And I was like, yo, nah, that's not. This is what you're supposed to do. I went into our thing. Like, this is what we do. This is what we're doing it for. This is a community. He's like, yo, would you do a song with me? Like, we did a song, whatever. It was cool. All that. Fast forward to now, the kids being huge, like playing golf ball. Like, he's like, he did his thing to the point where he's working with Terrence Martin. Like <laughs> they just dropped the EP dope. together. And that's that's what I'm saying. And then me and him text the other day. He's like, Yo, bro, you 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 made me think I could actually do it. Like that it was possible. That that it is even possible. And I was like, wow, like I guess the work that we've been putting in has benefited Paying you know? it
0: forward.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn. And I was like, so we just keep doing it. And it's because it was like you a lot of people don't know. Do you know a band called you might know because you're in the music space, you know a band called Game Rebellion?
0: I've heard that name before.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, punk rock band, um, Lee Man, Netic, Years ago, Netic from Game Rebellion, Black Rocker, does all that crazy madness. Uh, he reached out to us. We had a song online called Freak Out. It was the very first Oxy song ever released. Freak Out. Oh, my God. Recording garbage. <laughs> garbage. It's the first but- one. We had freak. It was on our first mixtape. The tape was called Better Than McDonald's. <laughs> right. And we had freak out. We had remix. Santiago's uh, starstruck. And we made this song called Faded. And we had a song called Daydream. And Netic released the hearing out. Was like you guys are incredible. And we we're like, oh my god, it was my first experience with another the dude who did black rock music in New York, and another one of me, and, and we called it the same gang as what we called it, and it was a tribe, but Netic was connected. He introduced me to Ninja Sonic. More black kids doing different stuff. Yeah. He you know, put us into the scene of this, like, it legit blew my mind. I was just like, Netic, Game Rebellion was the first band to ever play Afropunk. Like, he just introduced me to this world of, like, the others. I'm like, oh my god, I'm not, uh, we're not alone, not alone. under the this- you know, they, it isn't just N-E-R-D. Um, <laughs> and all the <laughs> things in the past that I can look up and try to find but that are still so distant that I can't touch them. They're not right here. Right. And right here, we just went to Brooklyn. I mean, it's right here. And and I remember Nedic going, yo, whatever. Our connection to Rock Nation came from Nedic." He told Justine one day at a house party, which is mad funny because it was uh, my friend Danny. Ned's friend Danny was having a baby shower. And Nedic was like, hey, come see me here. We go see him there. And Danny's cousin is Amanda Styles, who at the time was Amanda Diva. A lot of people forget the Amanda Diva days. <laughs> um, and all these people are in a room. And Netic goes, Yo, know, just, and Rock Nation wanted to sign Game Rebellion so bad, but Netic was not, he didn't believe in the establishment, he's not signing. And to those dudes were lucrative. Like, Netic, his brother's Ryan Grant from the Green Bay Packers. Like, okay. he didn't to do music for financial reasons right. he only did it for the reasons he wanted to do it right. so he told them no but he turns around at this party he goes to Jesse. he goes nah but anything that was for game rebellion give it to oxy and the next day we were at rock nation and that monday in the office and it was just like Holy, he paid it forward. And Game Rebellion hasn't been a band in years. They, they don't tour. They don't do anything. Me and Netic talk all the time. We're in book clubs together. We do a million things. And I tell Netic, I never forgot what you did for me. I, know, I will never forget that because that set us on a path. That's what made STFU. That's what introduced me to Sway. That's what did everything for the early Oxy years. Without that, it wouldn't have happened. And that all came from Netic, who was, who was the dude who just saw, oh, wow. These kids are doing something that I'm—I've already been fighting. So he opened that path. So in this conversation, it's like, oh yeah, I want to do for for everyone else what Ned did for me. Wouldn't be here without him. That's right. And it's funny, someone did that for him. You see, so there is this train, there is this line, there is this lineage to what we're doing, and it's just been awesome. Like, dude, I talked to Vernon. I took—I talked to, talk to Vernon Reed. He's an Oxy fan. There's just so many people that I'm just like, what? How in the but? <laughs> We all here in the space, and I think we could all, we could all help. And, and I think not only the strides and the, the, the connections I have for music make sense for music, but it makes sense for mental health, because mental health is also something that musicians deal with on a highest level. Yep. And very few people are doing anything about it in the space. It's a little bit more of a conversation now, but, yeah. man, we need to drive that home. Like, I, don't,
0: I don't know if you've um, heard of Backline or Soundmind. No, nah. those are two nonprofits that have really just kind of emerged in like the last year. I just started really talking to both of them a couple of months back, like right when all this stuff hit. Um, the, but
1: the backline and soundline.
0: Uh, backline the- and sound mind. Got it. Um. So so backline is like directly supporting musicians for mental health care, uh-huh. and sound mind is kind of like a broader, just in general, through music um, type of organization that, uh, promotes mental health awareness, but okay. they're like two organizations that I know that are like straight up working in the music space. Awesome. Um, and I think they both have like alliances with Jed.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, it's funny cause even that company we just did, cause we did a live stream right before when this first started, we did the sounds of saving live stream mm-hmm. and those guys just asked me to be on the board. of advisors for them. And I'm like, yeah, because I was real with them too. I said, this sounds of saving is a really cool concept, but it's very much whitewashed. And we need some more representation. And that's, and and it's funny because I'm constantly having to have that real ass conversation and I'll talk to you about it because I'm like, I know you've constantly had this conversation because I'm like, Mike has been in this space way longer than I have. He has had to always have this conversation Problem, I'm like, it's a crazy conversation to have, but they're doing really good stuff. And I'm like, if I could help position that in a way where it's more broader and helping a lot more of a spectrum of people rather than it just be pointing in one direction and that one community then let's do that and so i think i'm gonna dive into that as long as the details make sense dope dope yeah all right i didn't even get to tell you about my uh because i'm starting a, a non called swag for stigma so swag for stigma right now it's it's a nonprofit. what i'm what i'm putting together is it's literally what it sounds like it's it's geared towards minority communities and it's literally uh someone trading in their sag to help someone sick and that's what it is so it's like if if you're ever in a situation where your your mental health is being stigmatized in a a bad way we'll be able to help you with that it's like and at first it was to me it came out as an idea of just being able to maybe connect dots on a on a small level like hey if you're struggling with something someone to come talk to you on a big brother level i have i have a lot of friends who are celebrities i'll get them to come spend some time with you guest list you at a concert all the send you a gift something signed to kind of help broaden that day. but then i'm like that's a moment. I so said, How could I help something that could actually be changing? Right. So now I'm looking into talking to doctors and we're talking to a bunch of different people on how could I help? How could I connect musicians with kids on a level of they sponsor this kid's mental health uh, therapy for a year? So they pay your therapist for a year. As long as you're going right. and you're consistent, they pay out your therapy for a year. And and so they'll sponsor. Like I got a bunch of friends and I'm like, hey, this, this, this athlete will sponsor this person's therapy for this long. And then so with that and even with the Jed Voices uh, conversation that we did and we had, I want to extend and keep having those kind of conversations but make sure they're not too doctored. Um, want them to be a little bit more free and a little bit less of what Jed wants, and more of what needs to be said or what needs to be spoken way about. More raw. A, a way more raw. Mm-hmm. So I got this thing that I'm working on right now with a couple of different people, and we're talking to networks and getting things into play. It's going to be, it, it's under Swag the Stigma, but it's called, it's going to be called Get Your Mind Right, and we're going to have real conversations <laughs> with people in the mental health space about real stuff for minorities. I don't want it to be about me. This, this is about the community, and this is about pushing the message forward and out. And the more voices I can have that's in the space helping doing that, I, the, like collaboration is the mother of a change to me, for real. When, we, when people work together, things change. Yeah. So I collaborate with everyone that I know that's dope and in the space, and we could just do this because we have an opportunity right now to cause some real change in an industry that rarely happens, rarely happens. And use our voices because these guys – they can they have so much power like they can talk to these kids and these kids will shift yeah they, they we can shift the conversation and make it the right kind of conversation so and um,
0: like I said earlier it's really just about people giving other people the permission to feel things and t- and say things that they already have like inside they just don't think they're afraid, so it's just kind of like <laughs> releasing that fear from people um and uh, yeah I mean I think uh you're doing great stuff. You know, I would
1: love to be a part of that. Yeah, let's do it. So part of it, like you, you were one of the, you freed me. You were the one of the people that I watched and went, Oh, talk about this. I appreciate that. Talk about this. All the things I connected to you, not just because of the West Indian aspect, but also like all the things that I was feeling you were talking about. And I never public until you, I never really publicly spoke about that. Right. Because I watch, I watch, I watched was like, oh, he's publicly airing out how he feels about his entire thing in this interesting story format. I was just blown away, bro. I was like, okay, I, think, I can do it too. So I think you can, if you change me, I can change you.
0: I want to thank Dave Bellevue for his honesty and his transparency and his openness. One thing I really enjoy about doing this show is getting to speak to men from all walks of life, all different races, all different cultures, who are willing to be open and talk about their journey and the things that they've learned and the things that they still want to learn. And I really hope that people who listen can kind of either find identification or figure out different ways to themselves learn more and, and do better and be better. And be more honest and open because of the conversations that I've been having on this show so far. Um, if you want to subscribe to Detoxicity, please do so. We are available on every podcast platform. Uh, would love for you to hit the subscribe or follow button, whichever one applies. You can follow us on Instagram uh, at it's Mike Joseph. That is my personal Instagram account, but I post a bunch of Detoxicity stuff on there. Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash detoxpod. And if you are interested in learning more about Dave, whether through his activism or his music, uh, you can follow him on Instagram at DemiGod. That is D E E E M I underscore God. D uh, triple E M I underscore God. And Oxymorons are on Instagram as, as Oxymorons. And you can go to Oxymorons.com or you can just listen to their music on your streaming provider of choice. I want to take some time really quick and tell you about a few charities that are doing great work over the course of the last couple of weeks. I also want to mention that that episode was recorded uh, about three weeks ago, uh, if you're listening live, or if you're listening on the date of publishing. So it was recorded uh, mid to late May, sort of before everything really popped off, uh, So, which is why you don't really hear a lot of discussion about that. But again, there are a ton of of charities that you can donate money or time to. Um, All of the recent victims have uh, memorial funds uh, run by the families. So you can go to I Run With Maud or the George Floyd Memorial Fund, Tony McDade Memorial Fund, Breonna Taylor, uh, others Justice for Breonna Taylor. You donate to the Bail Project, uh, National Bailout. Most major cities have bail funds that you can donate to. You can donate to ACT Blue. You can donate to the ACLU. You can donate to the NAACP. Um, you can donate to the Black Feminist Project, which is based here in New York, Black Girls Code, uh, the Colin Kaepernick Know Your Rights Camp, um, Black Lives Matter Global Network, Reclaim the Block, Color of Change, um, Black Voters Matter uh, Fund, uh, the National Police Accountability Project, Campaign Zero, uh, Equality for Flatbush, which is based in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, um, the Equal Justice Initiative, uh, the Transgender Law, Transgender Law Center, uh, Black LGBTQIA and Migrant Project, uh, the Nina Pop and Tony McDade Mental Health Recovery Fund, the Black Trans Travel Fund, um, House of Gigi, which is an LGBTQ organization, the Black AIDS Institute, the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Uh, There are just so many, so many, so many great charities to donate to. So please, if you can, donate time, donate money, whatever you can, spread the word. Uh, We all have a voice in this world. The internet and technology and social media has made it even easier for us to use that voice and we can all use it for good. So if you are, whether you are a black or brown person or an ally, please use your time and resources for equality. So we don't have to keep going through these periods of black people getting killed by the people that A, we pay, and B, that are supposed to be protecting and serving the community. And with that, my name is Mike Joseph. This has been the Detoxicity Podcast. Until next week, have a good one. Take care of yourselves and each other, all right? Peace. Oh, and stay tuned for some bonus content after the fade out.
1: Trying to keep the balance in this madness, just and it's been a, a roller coaster. So it's like some days are real good and then some days are terrible, right. but that's okay. Right. I keep telling myself, is like, there's no normal in this. No, <laughs> None. no,
0: this is unprecedented, man.
1: <laughs> yo, I thought about this this morning like, we're so used to life not being rattled, like, life as I know it has never been rattled like this. Yeah." other generations have experienced this, but worse. So we just in a historic time, this is part of history and how it plays out is going to be just how it plays out. So we can't try to like, you can't sit in your house and try to predict it.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's not going to do anything for anybody. It's you just, you're just going to be sitting in your house kind of doing, you know, doing nothing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's like, let's not do that. Let's just let it see how it plays out. And then, I've also been working on letting go of the past image of what things was. See, cause that's why I think that's the biggest of like, what's helped me a little bit has been like, that's lowered my anxiety in a way of like, all right, accepting that, yo, whatever you were thinking of, the future was going to be, yeah, it ain't it's sad. gonna look like that. Yep. So it's not gonna look whatever your mind is thinking of the worst, but it's not, erase whatever you thought it was. Whatever you thought it was gonna be, let that go, because you have to plan something new and prepare to have something to walk out of this with a new perspective on life. And I think that's dope. I really had take a positive outlook on that. Like, you know what? Maybe this is it because I, I was always big on it has to be a revolution and things will only change when something drastically makes people change. change yeah. Here, we <laughs> Here we go, man.
0: You know, if uh, sometimes it happens whether we want it to or not.
1: And you don't, have, but the thing is, it also makes you realize this thing of like, like we have this idea that we control life. Where when that, like we here alone for this ride, we're not really <laughs> in as much control. There are
0: elements that you can control, but yeah. the bigger picture part of it, And of this is the picture part. Yeah. You're here. your hands. So you just yeah. got to do the best with the situation that you find yourself in.
1: Exactly. And that's pretty much what I've been doing. Trying to make sure um, anytime I feel something, I just I I accept it, I acknowledge it, and then I try to move past it. Whether it's good or bad. Like if I feel good, then I feel good. Is there anything I can do about it? Yes. Okay, do it. No. All right, relax. <laughs> yep. Yes, sir it's been hard and watching the news also is another tough one because it's just like i've tried to like lower all of that because i've I spent the week engulfed in that right. and it's like my anxiety so like it was so crazy i felt like the world was about to end right. just from reading articles non-stop about this and getting both sides of the opinion then 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 all the stuff that happened with like the racial things and so then i'm in williamsburg watching watching like pretty much all oh, mad white people just running around doing whatever they want. It really doesn't matter. Like, they don't give shit. Right. And, and I'm on my line watching black people being, like, harassed and arrested and being pushed around in New York doing the identical thing. Right. That was playing with me. I was like, okay, maybe I need to, like, not be so engulfed in it. I said that thing where it notifies me how long I've actually been on a social network. So I could be like, oh yeah, cut off points. Like mm. I give myself two hours a day of social media. That's it, yep. max.
0: I have a timer that goes off after I've spent an hour on Instagram.
1: That's dope.
0: You don't know who's walking around you.
1: That's true. You know. And why it hits our community so much is because diabetes runs high in the black community because of our diet. Yep. You know, our the, 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 our cultural norms that's why people don't realize it's hitting us. It's it's not really a racial thing, although our cultural norms are tied to racial inequalities. And yeah. it's just so – it it blows up to the bigger picture, but people got to realize, like, the first step to do is to, like, take care of yourself and realize that's – that's right there, the, the front lines is where you can inflict the most change. Your front line. Yeah. Like, change how you eat, boy. Or or if you know you have pre conditions, like, you know, move properly. Like, don't act like you were invincible.
0: Right, right. <laughs> You know, because I know better.
1: (laughs) A lot of people don't think like that, though. Like I remember, like the first three weeks of this, um, there was this thing going around, like black people can't catch it. Yeah, yeah. So black people was just running around like they had the like like melanin was the immunity. Like, (laughs) like uh, I'm like, you know what? I don't think that's gonna be a thing unless Mm. until some scientist tells me that melanin blocks COVID nineteen. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm not gonna gamble on that. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I
0: mean, I'll admit, you know, like I underestimated. I was like, ah, this is the flu, like it's no big deal. Then shit got real and I was like,
1: oh, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like that too, because of the flu. And I'm still like on the fence about certain things. I'm not on the fence about the impact it's having mm-hmm. at all. I'm I'm on the I'm on the fence uh on like how the narrative and the Information is being given and spread. That's where I want to fence because I'm like, I don't know what's real and what's not. The only thing I know is real is people are dying from right. it.
0: Right. And I don't think anyone really knows what's real and what isn't because, like, I know people that have had it for sure. Yeah. And everybody I know that's had it has been like, yo, this is the worst shit I have ever had in my life. And you know, they all got through it. Even like I don't know if you saw the jet the thing, uh the video that Jazzy Jeff made where he was talking about yeah. having it. Yep. Like, yep. That shit just sounds awful.
1: I had a friend who had I've and what made it hit home was a a, a friend of mine's lost both of his parents. Right. W- weeks apart. Like one week apart. One week he lost his dad, one next week he lost his mom. Right. For that. And it was just like, yo, okay. This is not a game. Like That's real it's very real and it can hit you and you just gotta be extreme just like anything else upset now this isn't controlled yet there's no there's no protection against it there's nothing you just got you out here naked <laughs> that lens that people have or the lens that I've been forcing myself to get away from is like yo going back to no there's gonna be a new norm right and you gotta form those new norms kind of start having those discussions and figuring that out out like even as a musician I'm like like touring when. When, Mm -hmm. you know, like, my agent's got hope, like, everyone's, because there's still things booked for for the fall, and we have, like, a whole tour booked for the fall, and I'm literally talking to my agent the other day, I'm like, let's just be real here, (laughs) like, this is not going to happen. She's like, let's stay positive, and everyone's like, I'm like, unless, I said, unless the thing that is the least likely to happen, like, somehow, some vaccine happens over the summer. Yeah we're not touring, like, let's just be real. And we're just kind of like, damn. And I'm like, guys, let's just, do the, let's just do the digital thing for a bit. I said, it actually might work in our favor. We spent so much time touring and like r- running ourselves into the ground. And yeah, we're really good in the live space. But I was like, what our Achilles heel our entire time, this entire time is figuring out digital. And so I said, now we can focus all our efforts into just that. Yep. So we don't need to worry about live. We know what we do live. Yeah. Let's grow our fan base digitally and now we can actually just focus on that without being trying to do both at the same time. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure we'll get good at digital. And that's what I mean about people accepting the change, accept that change, because once you accept the change, you can start to move forward. Right. But if you right. blast on to what life was, you're in for like an emotional roller coaster. Because to work, I...
0: work with the change, not against the change.
1: Exactly. Stop swimming against the current, man. Yeah. Just because it can be done don't mean it's going to be fun. Yeah. Like hell! Oh, I'd rather just swim with the current, like That's and right. figure it out. As long as you're swimming, it's good.
0: That's right. Yeah.